So I hit record. We can start on five. <laughs> I go. All right, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here, Spencer. And I'm Jordan. You say breadwinners. Yeah, yeah. All right. Restart it. All right, guys. Welcome back to the podcast, The Breadwinners. I'm here, Spencer. And I'm Jordan. Thanks for listening. And we have our first guest. I'll let him introduce himself. Um, I'm Namdi. First time on the podcast. Glad to be on The Breadwinners. What's going on? So we're going to go straight into the first slice. And the first slice is pretty much how our week has been. Um, any announcements we've had, any realizations, anything about our weeks. So I'll let Jordan start. All right, so for me, nothing really big, just still relaxing from school being out. Uh, I'm going to start reading more since I have uh, more free time. This book, I have this book right here. Um, it's called Psycho-Cybernetics. Uh, it's by Maxwell Maltz. It's just about how the brain works, different capabilities, why stuff happens, you know why we react to things. So it's just basically how the brain works. That's my announcement. So what about you? Yeah, for me, um, I've been swamped in uh, summer classes. I'm taking a couple of summer classes and they're accelerated. Um, but I still managed to read some. Uh, I'm Right now I'm reading the basics of Python and, and how to work throughout automation, um, web scraping, stuff like that. So keeping busy is 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 what I've been doing. What about you, Nam? What's up? Um just typical me trying to stay busy. Um got a little bit of concerns about this whole quarantine stuff, this whole pandemic stuff. It feels as though it doesn't exist anymore, if that makes any sense to you guys. Um What do you mean? Explain on that. So I mean, for me, it kind of exists because if you guys didn't know, I'm an automotive technician. I work for Mercedes-Benz, and um, it's a fairly big shop, the one that I work at. And um, we're kind of split up because there's so many technicians between all of us. Like, the shop is so big, there's one floor on top of the other. So what they did for safety concerns is they split the entire shop and one shop works one week and the other shop works the next and then the first week we showed signs of getting busy as the country started opening back up again they're like all right bring everybody back in so um for me the reason why i say it doesn't exist is because it's like the entire country just decided you know what who cares like let's just go about our business let's just let's hurry up and go outside and um Okay. I don't so, know. So you feel like there's going to yeah. be a kickback. There's going to be like a big. Um, Almost definitely. Uh, second wave. Second wave. Yeah. Second Most wave. definitely. Most definitely. I, okay. I keep thinking within like the next two, three weeks, it's going to pick back up again. I already know one news report came out with another 3,000 cases the day after the country started opening back up again. And I was like, at this point, it is what it is, but I'm just doing my best to keep myself safe, my family safe. As you should. Um, yeah. Other than that, 
just work stuff. Um, cars are always developing, so I always have to learn about cars. I always have to learn Mercedes specific, just computers, details, systems, all this other stuff, because that's what they are, moving computers. Um, reading up on investing, I'm rereading One Up on Wall Street, um, looking for more books to read about investing. Um, in a way, I can say I'm grateful for the quarantine because it gave me more time to think about my future and think about how I see money and mm-hmm. help me realize that the most viable thing that all of us have is time because that's important. That's very Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the most viable thing because listen, that quarantine is like, I don't think America needed that break. Like a lot of people needed that time to themselves. Like you saw people come out with new hustles. I don't know. Like when the quarantine first started all over the TL was just people, you know, talking about what they want to do. You had the Ponzi scheme. Yeah. No, the, the pyramid yeah. scheme. <laughs> yeah. You had well, those. I don't know if it's a pyramid had, scheme, but. And you had the little, um, the C20 do 20 up trend. You had that. You had, uh-huh. um, divorce rates went up because people spent so much time in their marriages that they realized that they did not want to be with the person that they were mm-hmm. with. And it's like, you have to be grateful. You have to appreciate that time that you had because had you not had it, had you not had this break away from everything, like, you know, some people realize that they have nothing going for themselves, hence the Ponzi schemes, hence the pyramid scheme. And, you know, some people need that time to, you know, get grounded in their own reality. Like, hey, I'm not even happy in my marriage. So it's like, mm-hmm. I, I definitely needed it because, like, like I said, the way I see time, the way I see money is like, like the way I see, like I stop thinking about money, like by the week and start thinking about, start thinking about it as an investment in years. And it's just, I don't know the quarantines. I I forgot um who said it, but there's a saying that goes, "Don't waste a good tragedy" or something like that, or "Don't let a good tragedy go to waste." Something like that. Well, yeah, just taking advantage yeah. of every bit of time I can get. Definitely feel you on that. Definitely feel mm-hmm. you on that. Um, you know, we brought Namdi on the podcast today to talk about something that's going on right now. You guys probably watched it or probably didn't watch it. But it's definitely spoiler alert right now. We're going to talk about uh, Filthy Rich, documentary about um, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, we have our different takes on it. Uh, you know, I, I'll let somebody else start and see and tell us. <laughs> tell us what they think. Because <laughs> all I got to say is crazy. I think it's a, it's a pretty good documentary. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of teaches you. Well, to me, it taught me, like, how much money is, like, how much money can make you, like, bro. He, <laughs> yes. he had so much money that it did not matter to him how he spent it. It, uh, it didn't matter uh, how much trouble he got into. It, it, it made him, like, untouchable, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, God. Yeah. It, it, uh, yeah, it makes it the 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 amount of women he touched molested like it it's sad but it's it's I, I wouldn't say it's um it's normal but it's like once you have that much money what do you do yeah uh, what is normal yeah what, what is normal when 
that's the same that's like kind of the feeling I got too or the reaction is like you know this guy has so much money that he could do anything that he wants you know that he that he thinks about in his head so any little crazy idea that he has in his head he can do it because of the amount of money he had and then one thing that they said in documentaries that he has so much money he could support like different projects that are going on in the world like the the quantum uh physics thing where he was investing in that guy because nobody else wanted to so he was around all the new 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 technology that we probably didn't know about Mm -hmm. and that's the part i thought about like dang he got so much info he probably got this technology that we don't know about and using it to his benefit because he's the one putting that money into that project you know what i'm saying yeah i'm wondering like they didn't really go in much about how he made his money, but I think it was from like investing, right? Yeah, that's so, what, yeah, and stealing, investing and stealing. He was he was very sly throughout his whole life. He he maneuvered to you know get a job without a college degree. He maneuvered you know to make his money. Like he's sly, but I guess he knew how how the world worked in that way. Yeah, and I felt that, and I feel like he got lucky. Yeah. He got hella lucky because <laughs> he, he didn't finish college, but still got a teacher's job at a college. Then he got a job after that in, like, trading, like you said, like, doing um, trading for people and money managing. He was a money manager, per se. That's what they said he made money off of. But, like, you know he just had a lot of money and then he was friends with Donald Trump Prince what's the kid I remember Andrew Andrew. Prince Andrew Prince Andrew friends with him and I'm pretty sure I don't know pretty sure that he was in it too he was in that ring or whatever that they're in you saying the president Uh, the president and Prince Andrew because they're buddy buddy Everybody was buddy buddy. Bill Clinton, buddy buddy. Um, <laughs> I was surprised to see Chris Tucker. I seen Chris Tucker and I was like, hold on. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, don't break him up this. Like, to be completely good, honest with you. The good thing is yeah, that they say they didn't do anything. No, yeah, like that trip, yeah. that trip. I was After like, okay, trip, bet. They, they had a mixture. <laughs> <laughs> They had to make sure they put that in there because <laughs> the amount of people that would have went on Chris Tucker and um everybody that was on that specific trip, man. I've never seen Rush Hour again, I'm telling you. <laughs> That's crazy. I was like, oh, man. So, like, uh, when they were – I lived in Florida for a little bit, and when they were talking about, like, Palm Beach and West Palm Beach and that bridge that goes to Palm Beach where the rich people are, I was like – you know, when I was living in Florida, I was like, I didn't even notice uh, that these type of things were happening around me in a way, because I was living in West Palm Beach for a little bit, and that's near everything where they were picking up the girls. Uh, I forgot the high school that was there, the high school, but I know people that went to that high school, which is crazy, and they were picking up the same girls from there. And it's crazy how, like, 
these things might be happening in Florida, but it might be happening here too, and you not even know. It's like I don't know. All of this is crazy. I'm just glad he's gone. So, you know, the number of young girls that may have been influenced by him, you know, is is not there anymore. But I know for a fact that his co-conspirers are out there still. You know, that's that's what's crazy to me. Fine, I find the whole documentary like slime, slime. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing is just it's an eye opener too. It's just like an eye opener to like they will lie on TV so they can save themselves and people are believing the lie and when that part in the documentary when they were saying he would victimize the girls and be like you know they're they're working for money uh there's one part in it that he was trying to share like a instance in a girl's life where she cheated and use that to say okay if she cheated on like her boyfriend at that time she will lie in the future making it seem like these girls are telling lies and trying to get at him so it was just i'm i'm just glad he's gone but man, he had a lot of money and just lived out his dreams through that money. That man was filthy rich. So to the big question now, I guess, you know, we all know he died, but how he died, you know, is it's still leaving uh, questions for prosecutors, for doctors, you know, I did a little research on like the death. My opinion. Well, let me hear yours first. You know, <laughs> how, like, how do you feel about the suicide? Well, the apparent suicide that he did in a jail that never got the suicide in like 14 years. There's too many coincidences, like way too many coincidences to say that he's actually is dead like like i mean with the amount of all right so like my thing is one let me, let me trace back a little bit right so my thing about it is i i use twitter a good amount and this whole time i would see little comments saying oh epstein isn't dead epstein isn't dead and i was like i i guess it's my fault because I saw it, but I didn't do the research on it. But like the amount of coverage between Epstein and the whole R. Kelly thing, one definitely got more coverage. One definitely was was in the face of the media a lot more. So I didn't know about this which whole was, thing. Which one? Which one? The R. Kelly one or the Epstein one? Definitely. Definitely the R. Kelly one. The R. And Kelly it was one? like, yeah. And so I was like, I, I really didn't know about it until like this whole documentary thing. And it's like same doing doing my whole research and watching a documentary and you can't you can't convince me. You can't you couldn't pay me to to get me to say that that man is dead. Like 
No, 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 he's not. He's not. There's no possible way. Like, literally wait, so you think he's like, alive? Of course, of course. What? You, of course. you know, that's that's what I was thinking too, too. But go ahead. Too that's... many coincidences. Listen, mm-hmm. how can everything? We're talking about this man. Like we just exemplified, or we just spoke on how much money this man had at his disposal and how much he could spend at his disposal. Too many things. Everything that could have went wrong literally went wrong. And you're telling me, and they showed a picture of the cell. That bunk bed could have been like, where did he hang himself from? Like, did he sit down? Did he, I don't, I guess that's a whole question in itself. But like, my thing is to move your money to the Virgin Islands two days before you just commit suicide. For who? Mm-hmm. I think, like, I think like, it was for his brother. Yeah, okay. But you know, he, you know <laughs> he tried to commit suicide like two weeks before too, right? But he failed. So that was kind of weird for me too because it was documented. He tried, but he failed. So he was put on suicide watch, but then he was magically taken off suicide watch after like two weeks or whatever which is not reasonable so he got taken off suicide watch and then right after that he committed suicide but the fact that you like, said you may you may think he's still alive is kind of it's kind of nah, funny cause because I, I think so too because like my thing is like here we are we're talking about a man who literally had enough money to create this man was super r kelly in a lot of ways this man had a pyramid scheme of minors, like a whole pyramid scheme. And he had the money to do it. Like he's talking about like that one girl said, maybe she recruited 26 girls and said, have all these women stay silent until now and only have how many women are in the documentary? Like three, Probably like four. six. Yeah. Like, yeah, five, six, five, six main six girls of, that we're talking. Six, yeah. Six out of who knows how many. We're talking about a man who has what a ranch in New Mexico, a seven seventy-seven million dollar mansion in Manhattan, a private island in the Virgin Islands. My whole thing is, like, this man literally went to jail when he wanted to. This man served prison on his own time, literally. Six days, six of, days out of the week. Yeah, and he's talking about oh, yeah. He, he was like, oh, uh. 12 hours. I was Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? He went to jail when he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. It was like the only other person that you can that I can come to mind and think about that is um Pablo Escobar, where that man made his own prison for him to spend mm-hmm. his to him serve his sentence. So it's like, okay. And that's in a third world country. Exactly. This third man world did country. this. This man did this when well, we had the resources to track him and know where he is at all times, which they did. And my point is, if he really wanted to disappear, he could. And the medical examiner was talking about, oh, the injuries that were proclaimed that he had on his body are injuries that are impossible to get from just hanging yourself. And I was like, yeah. That's, it, that's, it, that's it, all you really there, need. There's a chance. He said there may there may have been a chance that 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 third part in his jaw that broke could have happened. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's, but I still agree. You know the chances of that happening is slim. 
that man is alive and well, if you ask me. <laughs> Very alive. I feel I feel like he may have he may have um invested some money into a project that goes into like, you know, living forever or something like that. You know, like you know how Elon Musk is trying to develop Neuralink of like yeah. how we can like we can communicate without talking. Mm-hmm. He probably knows people that are trying to live forever, you know, and because he wants to live forever. This is just my theory. I don't know for a fact, but this is just my theory that <laughs> because he was supporting so many projects that many people wouldn't or they didn't believe in, he was in such high places that there must have been somebody that was trying to make a human live forever or, you know, somewhere somewhere along that line. He may have invested they figured it out, but didn't tell nobody. So he does this, but this is just a far stretch because they found those passports and diamonds in a safe in New York. I was thinking he might've used that to like go, go somewhere because he was trying to get bail or bond so he could actually leave the jail. So when he left the jail, he would have probably just flew off and disappeared. But because they found all of that stuff in the safe in New York, he didn't get bail or bond. So he just resorted to suicide. So I think you're let me ask you a question. So do you think all right, so yes or no, do you think he's still alive? I don't think so. I don't I don't think I, if he is alive then then he's 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 somewhere like he's not <laughs> on any of his uh mansions. He he's he's definitely living like somewhere in Africa if he's still alive. I'm I'm leaning more on the no side. But there's possibility. I'm leaning more on the no side because in a documentary I saw his body getting dragged out with his face on there. But you know, it could be a false body or it could be something else, you know could be a clone who knows could be a clone but it's more on the no side for me he could have taken some like uh i know this is far stretch and this only happens in movies <laughs> but he could have taken like some medicine to like slow his heart rate down or whatever so he's only nah, dead he's for like busy. two minutes or whatever but i mean when you brought up that whole Neuralink stuff I, I was getting ready to ask do you think this man is like living like outside his body because um, like, there's a, you know, that there's a study like that. Yeah. There's a study like that. Because when he when they spoke about um him investing in um a whole bunch of science projects, like that whole Neuralink stuff, like what if this man's like living in like electromagnetic waves or something like that? I don't know. But it's that's possible. With the amount of money that he had. Money is money is no object to that man and it's clear, but that's this is and this is no long time thing. This this happened recently, like a year ago. August. So the the possibilities August. of them having the the information and the resources to do this is possible because the amount of the amount of research that people have done today up to this day and the amount of technology that we don't know about 
that is world changing is out there for sure. And he was definitely in people's ears, the circles that were doing these things. So I feel like it's more than possible that he may be alive out there somewhere or or still doing something. Or he left or he left behind somebody to take his spot. You get what I'm saying? And even the the attorney Acosta, bro, he had to lose his <laughs> job. Like he came back the next in like two days and said like yeah the right thing to do is leave because it would affect the bigger picture which is just obvious i feel like there's obviously a ring with acosta trump um epstein like they're all in there with other people and they have a different goal in mind you know having these little girls was just was just a part of it you know, this was their leisure time. They're in a group doing something, a powerful white man group doing something. I don't know what, though, but I know. Never know what. It's, it's something. There's no way. There's, I don't know. It's, I feel like the Prince Andrew, doctor, the little BBC thing, though, was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> what was funny to me was um, his old attorney. Uh, what was it, Alan? Oh, Dershowitz, Alan. something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, "I challenge her to come on your show and say <laughs> that I did." So. And then the next, the next clip was, "Yeah, it was about six times." I was like, "I was like, whoa." Yeah. <laughs> now you know if something happens, <laughs> if something happens to her, it's like, you know what happened. But I, I found that a little bit comical. But to be honest with you, what I took away from it is. Like what surprised me, what surprised me the most is how long it took to get um, to actually get the evidence against him and you know shut his whole operation down. Like my thing is, like especially with this whole Me Too movement, because that's when that's when it really started taking off. Like we had to wait till the Me Too movement to actually like see some sort of change. Like my whole thing with the Me Too movement is you have to take these people seriously like these these women that come out saying this or not even women whether it be men or women getting you know sexually assaulted or whatever you have to take them seriously to a point where it's like okay if it is true we're gonna or we're gonna do our best to find out if it's true or false because the last thing that the girl said at the end of the documentary was all she wanted them to do was just do their job mm -hmm. and like you know that's what that's what they I don't want to say failed to do because I don't know every detail to the investigation, but it's like, it, it took too long. Like, like this has been happening since the eighties, nineties. And like, you know, he's, he's had time to like, if you have this many women coming out and identifying this many women and you're speaking on this many women and they're all saying that he's doing the same exact thing and, and all their stories line up and you see that there's a chain, uh, like, what what I get that he has a lot of money and that and that's like the hardest part to combat because it's not like they didn't try and put him away. Mm -hmm. But it's like you have like you have to do something. I don't know what could have been done to a man with that that amount of resources, but it's like I don't know. I, I really don't know because that's that's where you get the whole um because when people get away with things like that, right? 
that's what entices the whole existence of a rape culture. And to my understanding, I don't know. Uh, a rape culture is pretty much defined as people allow others to get away with rape, or we live in a society that allows others to get away with rape. I personally don't believe that because I can't find a single person that condones rape, that condones sexual assault. I can't find a single person that's like, that's like, hey, raise your hand if you like rape. I can't, I couldn't think of a single person. So I don't believe in the definition of a rape culture, but I do see the ideology behind it in terms of sometimes those who are sexually assaulted aren't taken as seriously as they should be because there's too many times where you're hearing, oh, um, college campuses aren't doing as much as they can when um when something happens to women or men like i said and it's just i don't know that's just the main thing i took away from the whole documentaries it's kind of crazy to me how it has how how long it took like all i can remember is him getting off time and time again and getting like one strike or one what what did he get charged with the sweetheart deal the um it was (laughs) It was solicitation of prostitution. prostitution. Yeah. yeah. He only and, got and another count. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what he went to jail for, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, was, it wasn't the one with minors. It wasn't. Yeah. Just regular. He was like, just regular. <laughs> like it's still, <laughs> like it's good. Like it's normal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, I think it's so crazy that he, he only went to jail for what 18 months and when he got out on the, on the during those 18 months like as we said he went to jail when he wanted to he beat the system i, I just yeah. I, like, I can't get like, by it. that's the only way to put it like he beat the system you know i i understand that like that's like a he's that's like a luxury life like when you think about it it's like, dang, he can actually win this. You feel me? And so, do you think like he committed suicide? That's that's what I'm leaning towards. Like that's the side I'm leaning towards most. But do you understand why? Like, do you can you accept it and be like, okay, I understand why he would end his life. I mean, now that you guys are talking about it, I I could. I wouldn't be surprised if he's still alive. Like, <laughs> they could have switched a body. You know, they said that his collarbone or one of the bones was, like, broken. Like, I I could see him still being alive. Yeah, I, I, felt, I feel like he's – I feel like he didn't lose. Although, in just the way, like, just the way he just ended himself like that and didn't give the women a chance to even – see his face you know what you get what i'm saying like like he he might have lost his life but he still won so many battles that the women were losing or that they were in it's just he was sick he was sick (laughs) like he like he wanted to win in every kind of way every kind of way but so how'd you feel so spencer how'd you feel about like um you know how every episode would start with him sitting in the the chair 
saying, oh, I want to assert my Fifth Amendment and stuff like that. Right, how right. How would you feel about all of that when he was doing that? Like, I bet his lawyers were telling him that you got to say these things or, you know, you can't, you know, win these uh, court battles. But it's possible the man was, like, great at talking, you know? Like, he knew how to get out of any situation. Like, he knew he – knew how to, you know, influence people into getting he, what he wanted. He, that's a skill. That's a skill that that I want, <laughs> which may seem no, weird, but that's no, not not in that context. The, oh, in that I, context. Well, I mean, like the way he could, the way he could control the conversation with people, like like how he got his first job, or not his first job, but his job training, trading um stocks and working in money you know he only got that job because of the way he spoke to the hiring manager or the person that was was in charge of that job so being able to get what you want from the words that you speak is pretty powerful but he used it definitely in the in the wrong way uh it was definitely a skill it's a skill but he used it to take advantage of people I would just he use to, he used great skills for the poor for a poor reason. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He yes, ex- but yeah. you know, people people took people took like side of him. You know, like just like on the plane with him, Bill Clinton. These are people that you think have some type of some type of like sense to them you know so it's like i don't know well, not bill clinton but well yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was president of the united states though no, yeah. nobody can take that away from you True. just like trump bro trump could you imagine trump of all people is president like he's probably living out his dream being president because of the amount of power he has like as a kid he, he was probably dreaming yeah i could be president and this man is like it's like he's living out his dream. Epstein was living out his dream. All these other people that they were hanging out living out their dream because of the amount of money they have. It's it's just something that baffles me sometimes. The question I can't get out of my head is like why create this whole system that he had? Like is it like a psychological thing? Like is it childhood trauma? Is it is it like something internal? Is it like a demon he's fighting? Like it's just, it's just why. I remember like, in the documentary they were asking those questions, but yeah, he gave no, and, he gave no answer. Yeah, and and it's like, like my thing is just like even if he has all this money, like with all this money you could, you could have pretty much any girl you wanted. Well, not to speak of women like they're objects, but it's like, you know, if you really could, you could pursue, let's let's use that term instead, you could pursue any girl you wanted with the resources that you have, like, you know, why, like, out of all the women, like, why minors? And it's like, it's the same with R. Kelly, like, like just why minors? Like, I don't know if that's a, if it's like a age thing, like, you still have to feel as though you're... Because one person described him as a ladies' man in his younger days. Is he still trying to like 
relive those days. Like I don't I don't understand. I feel like I feel like the answer that he would give if he had to tell the truth is he would say that it was just like a like a fetish. Like you know how for a regular person, I guess. I don't know if for a regular person somebody may like uh white toes, stuff like that, or pretty toes or pretty feet, like fetishes like that. Those are, I guess, normal. But his fetish was younger girls. And that's what he wanted. You get what I'm saying? I feel like that's what he would have answered. Because I feel like there's no other explanation to that. You know, you can't be attracted to them. It must be some type of, you're trying to... Yes, because to plaster it all over your wall... I definitely think you're headed in the right direction to like have it all over your house, to have it in storage. It, I mean, it, it's, it's weird to me. I don't, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I really don't. And yeah, it's like, really just a creep. Yeah. It's like, and to piggyback on what Jordan said earlier, when we first started, you said that you lived in Florida and you didn't know that it was happening so close to you. Like the other day, I saw a tweet that was like at the shoppers in Laurel, like as close as we are to that shoppers. Yeah. There are people using there are people using tactics to scoop up girls down on there, and I'm like, like at this rate, if I have a daughter, she's getting a gun or something because like, like nah, that, like this close to home. But I feel like it's one of those things that that you're kind of numb to until it happens close to you or happens to somebody you care for. And like, you can see that about the coronavirus too. Yeah. And like, like it's a harsh reality. Like you're always going to be like how America is like numb to war and poverty and illness and, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff just because we don't have it here. It's like until it comes here, like, like before the coronavirus, what were we doing? Uh, the Chinese eat this, the Chinese eat that, da, da, da. oh, this country got, oh, Italy shut down. Da, da. And then as soon as it hit the West Coast, we were like, all right, all right, hold on. Hold it's on. something serious. <laughs> yeah. And then as soon as it came over to the East, we were like, everybody stay, stay inside. Everybody, da, da, da. so like everybody's in shambles. Everybody is scared of something. But it's like, to have it happen, to have that kind of thing happen close to you, like, I'm not, like, the only way I could think about it is if I had a daughter. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm more scared of what I would do if I found out something happened to my daughter. Yeah, it's, Be- because, yeah. like, nobody deserves that. Nobody deserves that. And, and it's like, the paranoid parent, I don't want to be, like, the type of parent to, like, clock my even son or whatever because at this point you don't know it could happen to anybody but it's like at this point it's like nah nah Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna ask you guys this question then um what do you say to your child to be like avoid this situation you know what do you have any solutions to that like what what could a parent i'm gonna be completely honest with you my my parents didn't instill this sense of what to avoid. Like, like my parents didn't tell me 
if you see somebody do this, don't do that. Like for me, it was kind of a common sense thing. So I remember when I was in middle school, the only sports I played were soccer and I did a little bit of martial arts. And like when I got into martial arts, I was thinking about, or like the more I did it, the more they taught me about how, how you implement martial arts into real life. And your only tactic is to survive. So like when you think about the purpose of martial arts, the purpose of martial arts is to walk away from whatever situation you ended up in still intact and still being able to see another day. So it's like, for me, it was just common sense. The only thing that I could do is warn my children that these people are out there, but at the same time, hope they have that same intuition that I have and say, all right, like the same situational awareness that I have, like, all right, like we know what, there's no true definition of normal because normal changes all the time, but you know, like, like, you know what, what's, what's odd. And it's getting to a point where like people know what normal is and they try and manipulate normal. And that, that makes it harder for people like even me to pick up on it. Like I remember somebody telling me that one of the taxes they used was asking people if they believed in Christ. Like sex traffickers are using religion to now scoop up people. It's like, if it's as simple as that, then like there's only so much you can do. Yeah, I feel uh, it, it varies from person to person. So if if I'm unsure about this, uh, like Nanny said, it's kind of like situational awareness being, I got to teach my, my, my children that you got to, you know, scan the area you're around. You got to be looking for uh, the people that are not sane in that in that sort like i i can't i can't stress enough that you you got to stay you got to stay alert at all times even like when you're growing up you got to you got to know what people are out there i so i'm saying like as a parent as a parent what what yeah what what could you tell them like what could you is is there anything that you would tell them or like or would you bank on their intuition because like nanny was saying yeah. he he he's wishing that his children may have the same like intuition as you but believe it or not nobody's gonna be just like you or nobody yeah, that's is facts. you that's facts so so what would be like preventative methods as a parent then Spencer? Like what, what could, could you say anything or, you know, this documentary, would you show them this documentary or was it too graphic for them? No, I definitely show it. I, I would just, <laughs> they need to learn for themselves at the same time. You know, I can't teach them everything, but like definitely being situational aware mm -hmm. is, is key. Mm. That's definitely okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I feel like as a parent, you can only you can only say as much, you know, that's happening within that certain time that you're teaching your child. But you know, so things like this happen. Your child might not, might not even tell you. Like how? That like, is true. What, what could you combat that with? You know, it. 
I, f I feel like there's you have to put more preventative methods like teaching them like you know like Spencer said being I mean, aware at, at that point it's like when, when you get into the to the whole um like from from a standpoint of a parent like when you say that they wouldn't tell you that's that's when it gets to a point of what kind of relationship do you have with your kid for them to take your advice seriously mm -hmm. like you know mm. like it's like for me personally i would tell my daughter like if, if you're gonna say that nobody is gonna think the same way that i'm thinking like even my kids which is true there's no debate in that the least i could do is tell them to always think as though something or someone is out to get you because it's rather you it's better for you to be safe than sorry like if you always have a mindset that like 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 i said piggybacking on martial arts it's like i was taught to always think that something is not normal like something is always like being prepared for what's around me like always like i will walk into a room and like people joke about this, people will crack little jokes about this and say, "Oh, I'm just being paranoid." Ha, ha. But I walk into a room and think, if something happens, how am I getting out of here? Yeah, like, like I, I do that. I do that all the time. I do that. I do that all the time. So it's like, I would teach my kids. Like if it was up to me, if they wanted to. Hey, go ahead, take martial arts, learn what I learned, and apply it to the real world. And it it helps. But like to people who don't know me, they might see me as a as like a carefree nonchalant type of dude but like um i'm always situationally aware like i just want my kids to be the same the same way yeah, because those are cues that they can pick up on yeah yeah and it's like the situational awareness i i can't recall if it's helped me personally but more than likely I, i'm willing to bet money that it probably has and i probably just forgot because actually yeah it, yeah it has one time i remember one time but um not to go too deep into that but yeah to stay on track it's just like whether it be my son or my daughter or whoever it is like i don't care what type of person they are as long as they avoid situations or they know how to get themselves out of situations to come home that night or see the next day so it kind of makes you think now, like, oh, when we were in high school, we would go out, you know, our parents probably feel the same way right now. Yeah, dude. You know? so yeah. Like, now thinking in their in their footsteps, it's like, do I you do I do the same things they did or do I change it up? Do I get more protective? It, it's it's definitely topic yeah it's all <laughs> i mean obviously that's your child I'm, you know you <laughs> yeah them. so what i kind of had this i kind of had a situation or a conversation like this with myself in my own head and um it stemmed from like me i would be out late at night like whether i'd be at towson or like out with some car friends or doing something doing some whatever and like my mom told me that she couldn't sleep until I came home. And it's like, that's another one of those things where you don't know how it feels until you're in that situation. Like, I remember I was out of Navy like 
1, 2 a.m. And I was on my way home. And I was on 95. And, like, you know, my phone does that little do not disturb while driving thing. So yeah. out of curiosity, someone told me to just unlock my phone. So I unlock my phone while I'm driving. Don't advise it. And, like, I see, like, 10 missed calls from my mom just wondering where I am. And I'm just, like, I'm on my way home. Like, the first thing I do, I call her. I'm on my way home. I'm on 95. I'll be home in, you know, whatever minute. She's like, all right. And so, like, one day she's like, you know, like, I'm just worried because I remember one time it was 3 a.m. And she had work the next day. She usually gets up for work. She leaves the house at around 6 o'clock. For her to only have, give or take, two and a half hours of sleep, like, that, that put that into perspective that, like, it gets to a point where, like, I'm all that she thinks about when I'm not home. So I was like, all right, from now on, let me start checking in. So to put myself in her shoes, if I had a kid, like how I am personally, I don't, I don't like to stress, but I know that, I know that um, if I were to be in that situation, I'd probably be the same way. Because even with, even with my dog, like when I come home and my dog is in at the door, because that's the first thing he does when I, when I unlock the door. If he's not there, the first thing I do is ask my mom, where's my dog? Where is he? And like, like it, it just, it's a different type of, it's a different type of emotion when you actually have something that you're attached to. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. And it's like, like sometimes I think about, like Spencer has a dog, so he probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it's like, like I was thinking about when I move out, like, do I take him with me? Do I? leave him here just because of this attachment do I get another dog and if I get another dog will I be attached to him the same way I just it's it's, it's a lot to think about so it's like to say that you wouldn't to, for me to say that I would have that same if not deeper concern for my own kids I, I wouldn't be telling you the truth so definitely it's like it's, it's a matter of just having that concern in the first place and then doing what you can to not be a cloud over that over your child, but to make sure that you're not overprotective, but you still want the best for them. And I, I feel like a lot of parents struggle with, the, you know, finding that middle ground. Mine didn't, but you know, that's just how it goes. All right, you want to head to the next section? Yeah, we can. Yeah, cause this, yeah, let's kind of um go through it, cause we already did forty minutes. We don't want to like hit over an hour. All right, so boom, we're going to go into play-by-play. This is where we just talk about different stocks we're looking at, what we, what we're liking, what we're not liking. You know, I I could start, or if anybody else wants to start, don't I don't really have our, anything. Don't take our financial advice. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. This is just our our stuff. Don't don't go out there and do anything. You know, we are not financial advisors. Don't take our advice. Perfect. So you want to start? All right. So I'm still large in the AMD. I think that uh, with the new PS5, Xbox, and new consoles coming out, they have a large, you know, hold in the processing so amd processing chips um i'm also in a neo 
Neo is big. Uh, they have uh, cars releasing in China, and they have energy solutions for the coming future. So I think that's a very uh, good-looking stock. And then finally, I think Snapchat. Even Snapchat is uh, rising steadily on the stock market. It's mm-hmm. about to hit $20. Snapchat has facial re- recognition uh, software that is very new. And I would look I would look deep in Snapchat. So you think that they can like sell that that info to people or like use that for something else? Yeah. And I think it's going to be big in the upcoming future. Plus they have, you know, they're separate from Instagram. So they have different uh, networking, different um, sponsors, uh, Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they didn't even hit $20 yet. Nope. Sitting around yeah. like 18 something this year. Snapchat might be a little next move for me because I need to find somewhere to like put my money, you know, like put it somewhere. I might put some in there. Mm-hmm. That's it for me. So, so me, uh, right now I'm looking at uh, Beyond Meat. <laughs> I just um. So a headline the other day. Oh, pause. My fault. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's that's the company's name. <laughs> the company's name is Beyond Meat, but they're actually gonna partner with McDonald's um, in the upcoming future. So I'm looking. They're down now. So if this is a move that you want to make for like next week. You know, it's possible. But Beyond Meat, they are partnering partnering with McDonald's and they have some partnership in Europe, I think, right? So I'm looking at them for sure. Then others that I'm looking at. They're expanding to KFC in China too. Oh, yeah. So yeah. exactly. So that's what I was. That's what I was thinking of. But I saw that, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try to look at them. And then I'm always looking at Tesla. Um, if Tesla goes down, you know, I'm always gonna bank on it going up again. Mm, okay, there's this this other company that I like. It's called Insego. And they're a 5G company that's, you know, their software. And, you know, as as things are opening back up, as things are like developing with phones and whatnot, and when phones are releasing, these 5G companies are going to be booming. And also, um, I know you guys heard about SpaceX and NASA sending those astronauts to the Space Center. Yes, sir. I'm looking at Virgin Galactic Holdings, which is SpaceX, basically. That's SpaceX, and they're at $17 right now. So that's like, that's somewhere, that's something like Snapchat that I'm going to look at to probably put 
put some money in there so I so I can build up a little bit. Those are those are the biggest ones. You have anything, Nambi? Um, I actually backed out of all my positions just to um uh, take a step back and look at some charts. Um, all except for JNUG. Uh, I bought that back in April. Um, when it was down to sixty nine dollars, around sixty nine dollars a share, I knew that people were gonna start panic buying gold eventually, and mm -hmm. um, right now it's at ninety seven. So that was a yeah, pretty Jay, smart play on my part. Jayna can go up to one hundred seven. Yeah, probably probably higher than that. Maybe even higher than that. But um, I also have a uh, Snapchat share. I didn't know all the things that um. Spencer mentioned with the facial recognition stuff, but it was definitely back when I, when I looked at his chart, I was like, okay, I bought it when it was 12 and it's at 19 now. And I was like, all right, this is, it's looking promising for Snapchat. So I don't know if you guys knew, but I'm trying to take um, the whole trading thing more aggressively, more serious, um, managing risk, uh, learning more about options and eventually getting to day trading, stuff like that. But that's all I really have. Oh yeah, okay. I see. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You said you bought Snapchat at twelve. Yeah. Yeah, Snapchat just made a a, a good little jump for the for Thursday and Friday. And I, um, I bought a little bit of Bitcoin too. I, I threw a little bit of money into Bitcoin, and that's, that's moving on its way up. So. Made some small change on that, but I feel like Bitcoin's gonna shoot back up sometime soon. But like you guys said, I'm not I'm not a guru at it, at least not yet. So <laughs> I agree. Well yeah. It takes a lot of time to just watch. You yeah, to watch first and then you know, start seeing the same like types of up and down graphs where it's gonna Mm -hmm. like yeah like my thing is um i'm not just find it really interesting how some people could literally just sit down and like analyze and chart and uh like I, I i i'm getting into watching people trade live and some of these people are like wrong 60 percent of the time and still making money just because they know how to manage their risks i, I think like that's the that's the biggest part about it mm -hmm. in terms of like day trading not more so investing, but you know, just managing risk in general. So, when you say managing risk, um, give us an example of doing that correctly. So, for me, um, managing risk. So, I'm like I said, I'm not I'm not too much of an aggressive trader. I do like to trade futures and options. Because I don't know about you guys, but I definitely don't have 25k inside my brokerage account to just be playing around with. So, um, like I'll take a position on the contract, and like I'll analyze, I'll analyze um how much that contract is risking, or how many, or how many contracts, or how much of my account purchasing this contract is risking. Should it go down? And I always move I always take a position based on how much I'm willing to lose 
and how much I'm willing to make again. So you'll never see me risking like 60% of my account, half my account. Cause like I said, I'm not that confident yet, but because like, especially when you're in and out of it, buying a hundred shares at a time, it's like managing risk is just a smart thing to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I have a couple of um, buddies at work that do the same thing and, you know, they like to play around with Disney a lot. And I've seen somebody make 600 on Disney. I've seen somebody lose 400 on Disney. It's, it's interesting stuff. I'm not you, even you. Options, options is so, you know, volatile for me. I'm just so scared to even risk that amount. But I'm, yeah, but like, as each day I read up and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing how do I short a stock? How do I? You know, mm-hmm. what do I do with puts? Like, so like my thing is, yeah. Hey, go ahead, Jordan. No, go yeah, go ahead. I didn't have anything. Oh um, yeah, so um, like my thing is, uh, like I said, I, I view money differently, and like, uh, the the only example I can think of in my head is from the show Ozarks the amount of money you have is you know is just a measurement of the choices that you've made so it's like there is there isn't necessarily such a thing as zero risk because like i said there's people that are wrong 60 percent of the time and still making you know enough money to you know not have a day job and you know invest in other things so i'm just trying to get to that point where i do minimal risk until i get confident until i get profitable Cause I'm not at a point where I'm like, hey, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. Like I still want, I still want that money. That's a guaranteed check. So, like, to get to that point, because I, I definitely understand what you're saying when you say you're not ready to risk that much. Because, and sometimes I feel as though I'm not, because the very first time I tried it, I lost maybe ninety dollars trading. I want to say it was. American Airlines. And then the next day I got really lucky on TripAdvisor. There was one day TripAdvisor just skyrocketed out of nowhere. And I got really lucky on it. And then I took my profits and uh watched it sh- skyrocket right back down. And I was like, okay, this market is really unforgiving. But at the same time, with enough practice, with enough, you know, time dedication to it, like risk kind of just I don't want to say it doesn't become a factor, but risk is just like second nature to you to the point where it's like, I already know it's there. So let me just take my emotions out of it and just trade as if there isn't any kind of, you kind said, of way. You, and you said you've been reading books on this stuff, right? I mean, more so books on investing, not necessarily day trading. All the day trading stuff, everything that I needed to know was online. Like I haven't paid for any courses. And the book was um, recommended to me by a friend. And so, um, yeah, like all the charts, everything, like there's so many websites that'll teach you how to do it or teach you how to analyze charts and show you what to look for in terms of like resistance lines and support lines, things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, paper trading is something that I'm trying to get into, but I'm trying to paper trade realistically. 
So I use Thinkorswim and that account gives you like 200K, but I'm not going to trade it. So I have 200K. So the, the, the paper trading thing, um, I kind of have a different outlook on that. I feel like it doesn't mm -hmm. benefit you in a way because you are not getting the real life dose of losing money. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to go yeah. through losing your own money in order to not make it happen again in the future. Yeah. One of the, that's, um, that's the biggest teacher for me. Yeah. One of the people that I, um, that I watch consistently, his name is Clay Trader. And, um, it's a YouTuber. He says when, yeah. When when he when he gets the question, how do I get better at trading stocks? He was like, paper trading is is a good way to you know get adjusted to the game. But he was like, you're not gonna learn, you're not gonna learn effectively until you put your own money at risk. So it's like when you have something to lose, you take it more seriously. So it's like, yeah, I don't know, because like when I when I first got into the whole Robinhood thing, it felt like a game because it's like once the money's in there, it's just like like how user friendly it is, like all the colors, all the news reports. I'm like, this is this is like just a video game. We're just like taking guesses, but <laughs> gambling. I was that's, like, that's yeah, it's all gambling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I was like, what is going on? And then when I saw people making, you know, you know, scaling these. $100 accounts and growing them into like $19,000 accounts. I was like, okay, so this is something I can actually like, you know, take seriously to like fund the lifestyle that.